0: Nate and Pooty, here in the great white north, just bringing the biblical truth for a worldview that uh, will set you up great, I hope, today. How are you doing today, Nate?
1: <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We should actually probably just welcome some new listeners. So this is the Rebel Podcast. I guess now we're on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Canada network, which is exciting. How do you feel yeah. about that, Pootie?
0: I feel great. I feel like I want to get into a fight, have a feast, and then laugh about it afterwards.
1: That's hey. pretty much your life, I feel like. <laughs>
0: That's basically my Facebook account right
1: there. (laughs) We've been big fans of the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network for a long time, and uh, so uh, being part of their new initiative launching into the North is awesome, and so you're going to get to hear Dr. Aaron Rock, and uh, Michael Thiessen, and Tim Tyso, and uh, me and Pudi here, so uh, welcome to any of the new listeners. Uh, Why don't we just take a second to kind of talk about who we are, since it's sort of a bit of an introduction to at least some new listeners Originally, we were the Rebel Alliance podcast, and uh, this all started with a harebrained scheme from (laughs) Pootie, where you thought we could get together and talk about nerdy stuff and a little bit of theology and just thought it would be a lot of fun. And it has been, but we've kind of found our niche or found our lane talking about uh, how the Bible uh, informs how we engage with culture. And so sort of the tagline of our podcast has always been engaging culture with a biblical worldview. And so uh, I'm a pastor. Pootie is an elder at our church. His name is Chris. He's not Pootie elder. Elder Pudi. Um, But uh, yeah. but we were originally the Rebel Alliance because um, and the guys at the Fight Laugh, Feast Network might love this. Uh, I don't know if they know this story, but we were we we were the Rebel Alliance because we're Star Wars fans. We're Star Wars nerds. Um, but the Rebel Alliance, they were the good guys, even though they were the rebels, because the people who were in power at the time was the evil Empire and. And so even though the rebels were the ones who were sort of the outlaws, um, they were obviously the, the ones fighting for righteousness and justice. And uh, the original trilogy of Star Wars is sort of really the story of the rebels destroying the Death Star. And, uh, and so we were kind of looking at it uh, like the Death Star, the big giant victory has already been won, right? Christ has already defeated crush the head of the snake on Calvary. The knockout punch has already been delivered. The Death Star has already been destroyed. But the story that should take place and takes place in the expanded universe in the Star Wars world uh, after the original trilogy, after the the Death Star gets blown up and Darth Vader's dead and the Emperor's dead-ish... Um, then the rebels have to go and liberate the rest of the galaxy from under the rule of the empire because their tentacles stretched far beyond just the Death Star. So we kind of looked at that eschatologically and we said, hey, that's, the, that's where we're living. We're living in the time when uh, the knockout punch has been delivered, the victory has been won, and uh, we're going into the rest of the world making disciples, liberating everybody from under the empire's evil grasp. Was that a good summary? Yeah,
0: that's, that's perfect. I would just add, a lot of times in stories, the once the big bad guy has been defeated, you forget that there's tons of work left to be done. That's and that's right. kind of how this world is. Like The victory has been decided. It's, it's a foregone conclusion. Just the work of mopping up the world is basically left to us to do. So that's kind of where we fit in. Um, we're the rebellion in a way that we have to still bring all the nations under christ's feet um but the victory's already been completed so um the death star has been destroyed so to speak that's right that's the analogy we don't talk about star wars ever anymore though so
1: no um, every once in a while just when uh when when it tickles our fancy but um
0: negative (laughs)
1: yeah um yeah seriously um so so that's where the name came from and of course uh that was oh man what three and a half years ago it feels like forever ago, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, that's only because this year feels like it's been five.
0: <laughs> well, it's, we've been—it's been two weeks to flatten the curve
1: for what a year now. So, <laughs> yeah, over thirteen yeah. months. So. Um, so yeah, and and I think the name Rebel Alliance, um, of course, our, our podcast now is just the Rebel Podcast. But uh, being deemed rebels is even more fitting now than it was at the time. Uh, it was sort of a nod back to Star Wars, but uh, certainly now in a world that is hostile to God. Uh, and with governments that are hostile to God, uh, we feel more and more like rebels every week, eh, Pootie?
0: Well, we we are. We're way more rebels now than we were when we started this. When we started this, we never thought, you know, they're going to lock down our churches. Seriously. need to put fences up around our churches. <laughs> we might have to go underground. And these are all things we've had to do in the last <laughs> yeah, like four months. So, <laughs> seriously. Um, the, name, the name was prophetic. We didn't know.
1: Yeah. yeah. So for those of you who don't know, uh we might have some some American listeners listening in because uh they're introducing us to the Fight Laugh Feast audience. Things are crazy in Canada right now. So I know you guys have uh, your your own dose of crazy with Biden in office, um, but we've had our own, we've had we've had crazy for a long time and uh and crazy up here is a uh funky sock-wearing buffoon named Justin Trudeau. <laughs> and, I, I, I remember saying that for a few American friends, uh, having Justin Trudeau as our prime minister is sort of like if Hillary had won, <laughs> That's right? That's a good analogy. Both yeah, women, except both like... Except that Hillary was a little bit more masculine than, <laughs> than Justin. <is. laughs> That's um, so true. Yeah. So in Canada right now, um, we are under the uh, COVID-1984 um, regime. Canada has been in some state of rolling lockdown for 13 months. We have color-coded things for the ease of understanding how tyrannical the government is currently desiring to be. You could be in red lockdown, orange lockdown, green lockdown. You'd think green means go, but it's still lockdown up here. So, yeah. and then there's the uh, the almighty gray lockdown, which just reminds me of the office when Michael Scott said it was threat level midnight. <laughs> it's like threat level gray. So, so the colors make no sense. To be honest the way. colors make no sense. And they change the rules all the time. So anyway, just to give you a sense of what's going on and uh, the cross politic guys have been really great at having uh, myself and some of the other pastors from Canada up here. But uh, we recently had James Coates who is a faithful brother uh, and pastor of Grace Life Church out in, uh, right near Edmonton, Alberta. He was in prison for 35 days. Fence was put up around his church overnight so that his people couldn't meet. Good brother down the road from us, Jacob Rayom, who's a great friend of ours. We've had him on the podcast several times. Um, He has racked up enough fines that he could, uh, if maximum sentencing, he's he's owing millions of dollars and uh, up to eight or nine years in prison at this point. And so there is a small band of us a small group of rebels, you might say, <laughs> in uh, in Ontario at least, who uh, who are open. And I would say maybe fifteen churches in all of Ontario that are open. So sixteen million people and about fifteen or sixteen churches that are open.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's it's important to point out that I don't know if a lot of Americans know how Canada is. We're we are, for the most part, a very passive people. I would say, like, yeah, it's true. For the most part, we, we don't get all up in arms too much about our rights. It's just not how we are. So You just, you
1: just lost all of the American listeners. They're like, <laughs> yeah, we're tuning these guys out right away.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so therefore, when the Christians come, yeah. and we're the ones that are bold standing against uh, tyrants, basically, it's not just the government that we're fighting. We're fighting all of society, too. Like most of the people that we would work with, most of the people that we would interact with that aren't faith-based are on the side of, yeah, let's shut down. Let's be, I don't know governed by the, by these tyrants. And so the church really is standing alone. I think of like Jacob and all those people where they're not just the police, they're getting people vandalizing. I think Aaron rock had people put nails in his driveway driveway. to
1: stop the, uh, Mm. the drive-in service when, when they went that route to to ease up on the fines. Yeah. We,
0: we put any signs out on our lawns about like ending the lockdown or anything that those things get taken right away. (laughs) Um, I had one taken last night. So I put another one out today. I point that out just to say like, it's a Canada's a different beast in terms of a country. Um, in it's like, like
1: California, really. That's I mean, actually Canada, a great yeah, Canada's mm-hmm. like California. It's like, like all of Canada, or at least all of Ontario, is basically maybe not up northern Ontario, but most most of Ontario is like living in the Bay Area, California. Right? That's the money. Yeah, six hundred dollars worth a lot less. <laughs> Even though it's all our pulp and paper. Anyways, what we wanted to do is we don't want to hit reset on the whole thing. We got years of content and you can go and check us out. Look for Reformed Rebel Network or uh, or the Rebel Podcast and you'll find us. We're just in uh, the process of kind of changing some of our names over for the rebranding with Fight Laugh Feast. Um, but uh, we got years worth of content. You can go and check some of that stuff out. Um, uh, videos on engaging culture, spot the lie stuff, lots of great stuff, uh, eschatology series and videos. So go check all that stuff out um, and you can find it all at uh, our, uh, our old website, rebelalliancemedia.com. But here we are, we're part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. And what we wanted to do is, uh, we actually took a bit of a break for a while, partially because the reality is, is in Canada right now with everything that's going on, Kind of sticking your neck out as a church has just been getting you, uh, your head lopped off one by one here. And so, uh, we've been open for quite a while. And uh, we've been faithfully gathering and uh, God is blessing the ministry that's happening at the church here. And uh, more and more people are coming all the time. But for a long time, we were thinking, you know, let's just quietly be faithful. Let's not stick our neck out too far. Let's not be talking about the illegal gatherings because uh, then you're risking it. But uh, I think with uh, friends like Jacob and James, under as much heat as they are, we were all convinced, uh, those of us who are part of the Liberty Coalition, to to make sure that we're not just secretly meeting, not just kind of quietly um, meeting, but uh, that we are open, that we are publicly open, so that if they come for one of us, they have to come for all of us. So let's talk about it now, Chris. It's been a little while, and uh, I think we'll take a couple of weeks to kind of talk through some of the bad reasons to close your church (laughs) and everything, but uh, we thought today we would kind of start with the big idea why is it that we are under the conviction that the church should not listen to the current government mandates to not meet or to mask up or to stay under capacity limits or to have people sign up for church? What's the big idea, Chris? Why don't we think that's a good idea?
0: To be really upfront and really simple about it, because the government doesn't have a right to tell us to do so. What God has commanded, man cannot uncommand. Is that a way to put it? I like the way <laughs> I put that. Um, I think. Just keep I, think, it, of, just keep it, I yeah. think of Acts 5. Acts 5. I think it's 29, where Peter says, "We must obey God, uh, not men." Um, and Amen. the idea is like we obey what God said. God clearly has taught through out his word that we are to gather um, that as a church, we're to be together um, and we're to you know lay hands on each other, to pray for each other, um, to take communion together. That's not something that can be accomplished over zoom. That's not something that can't be accomplished in any other facet of other than being together on the flip side of that Simply the government can't ordain how the church runs, what the church does, what, what our worship looks like. They don't have a say in that matter. The term the term we're basically going to talk about today is fear sovereignty. I don't know about you, Nate, but like, I would say the, the most alarming thing I've noticed over the last 13 months is just how little people understand that idea.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. When people have asked me like, what is going on in Canada? Some of our American friends are asking like, what is going on? Why are so many churches closed? Why are there so few pastors willing to speak out? Why are there so few churches willing to open? At the end of the day, this is what I think. I think that COVID hit and a bunch of pastors were caught not having done their homework, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of like, you know, the teacher asks for your your assignment and a bunch of people got caught without their, their homework done. And and what I mean by that is that we have become complacent in a country where our freedoms have not been in jeopardy for a long time. And so a lot of pastors have not had to think through where their line is when the government asks them to do something. And I've heard all kinds of silly arguments where people will say things like, well, you know, your, your buildings, your church buildings were built with, uh, with building codes and fire regulations and the studs are a certain distance apart. And so, you know, the government is already dictating those things. How is this any different? Those are safety regulations. These are safety regulations. And I think what, what people fail to understand, I guess, at the highest level, and we'll talk about this for a little bit, is that when we even use the, the term the government, we're actually part of the problem. Okay, so in George Orwell's, I kind of made the joke about COVID nineteen eighty four, but in George Orwell's sort of terrifying dystopian novel nineteen eighty four that is slowly becoming nonfiction, <laughs> there was something called. Have you read it? You've read it, right, Chris?
0: Yeah, it's been years,
1: though. Yeah, yeah. So I'm living it now, though. So it's yeah, exactly. So Newspeak, right, was the official language of uh, of Oceania. The purpose of Newspeak and this is a quote right from Orwell, the purpose of Newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression for the worldview and mental habits proper to the devotees, but to make all other modes of thought impossible. Uh, So in other words, the purpose in a, a shift of language or a shift in definitions is to have people think one dimensionally and to think in terms of the accepted definition and no other. So when you think about the Bible and you think about years ago, we never talked about civil authority as the government. It was civil government. It was civil authorities. There's no such thing as the government. When we use the term, the government, instead of civil government, we're placing civil authority higher than other authorities that have been equally established by God. So there is ecclesiological authority, right? Church authority. There's family authority. There's self-governance. There's all kinds of various legitimate authorities that God ordains in scripture, and he hasn't placed one under the other. These are all legitimate spheres unto themselves. So the idea of sphere sovereignty is the idea that God has all authority, heaven and on earth, and that he delegates his authority to various spheres. So there is a sphere of civil authority, and they have a particular role to play in God's world. There's also the sphere of family, there's the sphere of church, there's the sphere of self-government, and there's other ones. There's academic, there's medicine, there's labor, there's all these other spheres that God has delegated authority to, but all of them exist under the sovereign authority of God, and they do not usurp one another. So for example, and this is, this is one of the, the, the easy examples I I use. If the government was to make a law that made it legal for police officers to spank disobedient children, I suspect, or at least I hope that most parents, most Christian parents, at least would not submit to that law right? We wouldn't hand our children over to be spanked by police officers that don't know them. And I think the reason people would recoil at that thought is because they instinctively know that's not the role of a police officer. That's not the role of the state police. And so I think that when we think about it that way, we recognize that God has given various roles to these various spheres. So, what we have to do is let the Bible dictate what belongs in each sphere and what belongs in one sphere can't be taken from somebody in another sphere.
0: Exactly. And it's important to, re- to remember, we exist in all those realms like individually at one time, right? So yeah. like we yes. are under the authority of the church. We're under the authority of the state. We're under authority of the family all at the same time, but like the authority of one doesn't contrast the authority of another. And they don't like there is some overlap, but they don't hierarchy. In terms of the authority, if that makes sense, does that do you track with that? Only and God overarches everything.
1: Yeah, that's right. and and the head of each sphere answers to God, right? is accountable to God. So God, so if you think of the the sphere of the state, you know, God is at the head, and then comes the king or the the civil authority or whatever. and then and then the citizens. So there is a way in which the citizens are placed under the king, who is under the head who is God himself, who is Christ, but that's for a very specific purpose, right? And if you look scripturally, some of the jobs that are delegated outside of the state, for example, education, right? Parents are given the responsibility to educate their children, The responsibility of education has not been given to the state. And yet we see public education, welfare, right? When you look at charity, charity has been something that God delegates in various ways to different spheres, right? So for example, the civil government in Israel, there were gleaning laws. And so individuals who owned fields were told not to harvest the edges of their fields So that those who were sojourning, those who were traveling could pick. They also were told not to, in anything that fell out of the bushels as they were harvesting their field, to leave so that people could glean, so that the poor could come. And now that wasn't punishable by anything. It was a command from God given to essentially to business owners, right? This is to the family, or this is to the sphere of labor. And that's how God took care of the poor in ancient Israel. It wasn't by having the civil authorities tax people and equalize income. That's what it looks like when the state takes something that God has delegated somewhere else. What does it look like when the state takes a hold of health care? Well, it gets really bad. (laughs) When the state takes over education, we we see where that goes in the public education system. And what you got to think about in terms of education is, we're getting a little off track here, but The uh, get me going. That
0: generally happens.
1: Yeah, get me going on education, right? But what happens is the the word of God says that uh, a student, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so what you what ends up happening when the when the civil government takes over education, what they're trying to do is produce good citizens, right? When parents take on the primary responsibility of educating their children. What they are trying to to do is raise disciples, right? Christian ones at least. And so anyway, you look at this and, and you can see how things can get messed up when one sphere takes what God has delegated to a different sphere. And so what we're seeing right now in all of this COVID stuff is the government taking responsibility for worship away from where God has delegated it, and that is to the church, so God has not delegated to the king worship; He's delegated that to the pastors and the elders of the church. Anything you want to jump in on there?
0: Yeah, I would, I would say this is this is not new throughout history. Yeah. If we if we look at what's happening now, we can even go back all the way to the to the early church. And what was the big debate in the early church was who is Lord? Is Jesus Lord or is Caesar Lord? This That's is right. not a new thing that we're coming up with. This is the same argument repackaged in a different way basically we could be asking right now and this is what i think christians should be asking themselves right now is who is lord is jesus lord or is the state lord and once you answer that question correctly all the fallout masks opening your church are we even going to gather all that becomes subservient to the idea of well if jesus is lord i do what jesus says because those who keep his commands prove we honor our father by keeping his commands, right? And those who don't keep the commands, well, the truth isn't
1: in you. You're a liar. So that's
0: very harsh language, but that's the Bible. So, <laughs> so
1: um, when you think through what's going on right now, what we would say, and this is one of the things that, uh, that the elders at our church have thought from the very beginning is when when health mandates or health regulations come down, we view them as a request from another sovereign entity. So when the civil government makes a request of the church, like, hey, reduce your your capacity limits to 30%, have your people mask up, what that's essentially is, is that's that's a negotiation between two sovereigns, right? Think about like ambassadors from various countries coming together to negotiate trade agreements between the two nations, right? Try as as he might, Biden doesn't have anything to say in terms of how Canada is governed. And so he can't come and, and begin to pass laws in Canada because Canada and the U.S. are both sovereign nations. And so similarly, when the church and the state come together, they come to the table as two sovereign two sovereign entities. And so we've looked at these as requests that that we can then take and decide whether or not we feel as though they uh, restrict worship, whether or not they hinder our ability to obey the word of God. And with some things we absolutely, they do. How can you greet one another with a holy kiss if you got a mask on your face? (laughs) How can you participate in the Lord's Supper if you can't serve food or drink? right? How can you lay hands on the sick if you're uh, meant to be socially distant? How can you uh, minister to people when they aren't allowed to come because they're barred from the doors because they would be the 31% or they would be the 11th person or whatever stage of lockdown we're in. And so we've looked at it that way. And I think that there's lots of really good material out there I mean, just in the Bible. (laughs) Well, let's start with, as you said, this is not new. All right. Abraham Kuyper was the one who coined the phrase sphere sovereignty. I think that RJ Rushdooney did a really good job at furthering this thought. A lot of the Dutch theologians have. There's a really good book uh, by Gary DeMar that I think is really underrated called Ruler of the Nations. It's by Gary DeMar. The first couple chapters actually lay out sphere sovereignty quite well and quite succinctly. But we don't even have to go to kind of that historical bit. We can go right to the scriptures. And providentially, I began to preach here at Crossroads through the book of Daniel at the beginning of the year. And I mean, Daniel's just been chock full, eh, Chris? Oh, of of examples, right? So like in Daniel 1, you have Daniel who refuses to allow the king to be his provider, right? He he says no to the king's food. I won't eat that. And And you know what occurred to me, Chris, is... That was a health mandate, right? <laughs> it well, it was. It, it was because it's interesting when the chief, the chief who is kind of in charge of all these guys, he was the chief eunuch. When he went to Daniel, he said, and this is in Daniel verse uh, chapter one, verse ten. He says, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, "I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths?" who you are, who are of your own age. They were told they had to eat the Babylonian food, eat the King's food. Daniel just said that he wasn't going to defile himself. By the way, there's, this was, this is not about Jewish dietary laws. This is simply about Daniel refusing to eat the king's food because, um, and the word there for defiling himself is not about ceremonially keeping himself unclean. It's actually talking about uh, idolatry. And so this is really who comes down to who is your master? Who is your provider? Who who will give you your daily provision? Because the king there, it, that's actually the language it uses, right? That the king would give his daily provision of food to the people. This is a health mandate because what the eunuch's afraid of is that the king's going to see that you're less healthy than everyone else if you're just eating water and vegetables because man's supposed to eat meat pootie and so and so this is a health mandate and daniel said no to that health mandate
0: there's an interesting thing that's happening there too with when they he refuses they didn't have to refuse like um there's nothing in the in the text that would say that's how they were eating previously to this thing they changed their diet their diet with the idea of setting themselves apart I would say it's something that the churches that haven't been meeting are aren't doing a good job at, which we've seen, like I, I think of James coast mentioning that, like, you know, they've had zero COVID cases in their church of 600 people. We've had to the best of our knowledge, zero same. COVID cases in ours. I, I think yeah. Trinity is the same in yeah, uh, same. Waterloo. And it's one of those ideas where we chose to set ourselves apart and look different and God's blessing that thing. And I and, like that, uh, that uh, choice basically, even though like it doesn't hurt us in any way to put on mass, just like it, it wouldn't hurt Daniel to have followed their um, dietary laws in that point, but he was setting himself apart. And right. he, they're doing that because to teach us that idea, like, no, God mandates how we how we act and how we live, not you. You know what I mean? Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So then you get into Daniel chapter two and, uh, and I'll just jump ahead because the famous story, of course, is Daniel chapter six, where it becomes illegal for Daniel to pray. And uh, he gets thrown into lion's den. He's an old man at this point, very late in his life. He gets thrown into the Daniel into the lion's den because he refuses to uh, accept the prohibition on his worship, the prohibition on his religious liberty to pray. And so he prays. And it's interesting, right? I mean, he could have closed the window. That's all he had to do, right? He was praying quietly in his room. But the text takes a point of saying, and he opened his window as was his custom and he prayed. And so he could have done that quietly. He could have done that in a way that wasn't so flagrant, but he chose not to. But the one that I really want to talk about is Daniel chapter three. So Daniel chapter three, is we all know this story this is the story of the fiery furnace but what's interesting is that Nebuchadnezzar he has everybody bow down to the statue now what's interesting about this is that the end of chapter in chapter 2 you get the vision of this statue and at the end of chapter 2 you get Nebuchadnezzar who who has some level of acknowledgement that God is the God of history and that God sets up nations and all that kind of stuff. And then you get this golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Interestingly, the whole statue is golden instead of just the head, which shows that he's probably trying to prolong the reign of the golden era, the the reign of the Babylonian era. But beyond that, what's interesting is he's acknowledged that God is, is the God of history. And yet he still wants people to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. So it's not that he's saying, he, he's God, he's saying that he's the mediator. And this is, this is you know, part and parcel for the ancient world where the kings thought that they were sort of the continuity between the people and the gods. But what's interesting is he tells everybody when they hear the sounds of the, the instruments, they have to bow down uh, to the statue and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego don't do it. Now, what I've heard from a lot of our opponents, a lot of people who disagree with the stance that we were espousing here and the stance that we've taken is they say, yeah, yeah, but God, the, the state isn't telling us that we have to bow down to an idol. The the state isn't telling us that we can't worship God, that we have to worship something else. And I would say, actually, I, I think they are. But beyond that, I just want people to look at verse 16. Verse 16 is interesting because throughout all of this, they've had great respect. Daniel in chapter one says the eunuch like, hey, just test us for a little while then. We don't mean to be disrespectful. Chapter two, they come before the king. Oh, king, live forever, right? They're, They're super respectful in all of their dealings with the king. And then in verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, right after he asks them basically like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you involving yourself in my worship service? And it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That's it. That's it. We have no need to answer you in this matter. You're not even owed an explanation, king. And why isn't he owed an explanation? He's not owed an explanation because at the end of the day, worship is not within the jurisdiction of the state. It doesn't belong to the king. And they knew that. So, they don't even have to answer him. He's owed no explanation. And so, you know, early on in all this, our church, among many other churches, we were writing letters to the the civil authorities. We were, you know, asking them to work with us and all that kind of stuff. And somewhere along the way, we just stopped. And we stopped because at the end of the day, they're not owed an explanation. They can say, hey, we'd like you guys to close down. And then we can say, "Uh, nope. And then when they say, why, we say, you're not owed an explanation here. We have no need to answer you in this matter. Worship yeah. doesn't belong to you. Exactly. When we
0: wrote those letters and things, we were doing our best to try to live peaceably with them. Yeah, um, To try to come to conclusions. But like at the end of the day, you're exactly right. We don't owe you an explanation. You don't have sovereignty over us. So we're going to do what we do and come what may. I think there's something neat that we like always backs up Daniel 3 is that Daniel trained his people prior to that, to be ready for when it was time to be like, we don't owe you an explanation. One thing I think our church did, but I don't think a lot of the churches, you said earlier that pastors got caught with their pants down kind of thing without (laughs) having done their homework. You didn't say pants down. No, I didn't. But that's a good insertion.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I like
0: it. I'll take it. I'll take it. The idea that they hadn't trained their people how to be ready to be not disobedient, but actually obedient to a greater extent to God when, when it came to be like, no, you don't have any any authority over us because they hadn't practiced this previous, right? Think of David, the idea of like, um, before he had his big public victory against Goliath, he had private victories against the bear, against the lion. He yeah. was trained privately before he was ready to be publicly um, disobedient. And I think, I think what you're seeing in churches, I'm just gonna keep using like Aaron Rock's church, Trinity, Coates' church out in Alberta, what you're seeing is you're seeing people who have been prepared for this kind of, uh, right. Thinking, even though we didn't know 13 months ago, 14 months ago, what this was going to look like. We were ready because we've, we've thought biblically through well, what does fear summer team tell? Who is Lord of our church? Who is the head of our church? Um, and we weren't a, like basically we weren't caught out with our pants down. We're unready for it because we're ready to, we're ready to say, oh, MP of Ontario, you don't have anything to (laughs) say to us. I don't know if we can name names. I don't know if that's
1: like a yeah, but I don't know, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, I think that's important is that just as we kind of wrap up our, our time here, hopefully this is a good inter- introductory um, podcast to who we are, what we're about, but also kind of what's going on in Canada, because this is going to be kind of forefront of our minds for a little while, I think um, because this is our reality, this is our day-to-day reality. So certainly pray, pray for the churches in Canada, pray for the churches in Ontario but I guess the the practical point of application in all this is courage begets courage. Mm. And uh, if, if pastors and, and Christians are not looking for opportunities to be courageous and to cultivate courage, then when the time comes to be courageous, they won't. And the truth is what we keep hearing from pastors who aren't willing to open their churches is, well, this isn't really the line. And, and you know, well, I don't think that we need to be disobedient, uh, civilly disobedient right here in order to be faithful and you hear all these things. But what's happening is every time we don't act, every time we don't push back, every time we shrink back, we are actually cultivating cowardice and we are not practicing the courage that's necessary in order to stand firm when we need to quite honestly, Jesus chastises the Pharisees, um, for being able to see that if a cloud's rising, you know, in the East, that a storm is coming. And, uh, if, a, a wind is coming from the South, then, uh, you know, scorching hot heat is coming. So they can read the signs of the weather, but they can't read the signs of the times. He chastises for them for that. And, and quite honestly, I think he would be chastising us right now if we are unable to see the signs of the times in which we live. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist. You don't have to be suspicious of the government. In some ways, every Christian is a conspiracy theorist because we know that the Bible says that there are powers and principalities of darkness, that there are, are evil forces in high places. And so whether or not Doug Ford or Justin Trudeau or masterminds trying to keep the church down is irrelevant at the end of the day, there are powers and principalities of darkness that absolutely love watching the bride of Christ shrink back, not gather and not give Christ the worship that he's due. So I think you're absolutely right that uh, that we're here because people have not cultivated courage and they haven't cultivated courage because they haven't looked for opportunities like Daniel and his friends to be faithful with little things.
0: Yeah, I would, I would say you're, you're spot on when you say courage begets courage. Um, I would also flip that around. Always think about the idea that complacency or compromise begets compromise. Yeah. So, like when a pastor, or we've I've, we've had tons of people say this to us, right? This isn't the time to draw the line. The line okay. is down the road farther. Well, it's a lot harder to draw the line down down the road because you're you're now in the habit of compromising. Yeah. This is how if we
1: Learn behavior. I,
0: Exactly. Learn behavior. Anybody who's still listening, to this probably isn't going to get too up in arms about what I say next, but this is why we can look back on the church in, in Germany back in the 1930s and say, well, where were you? Yeah. Because they were will, like, not all of them. I'm, I'm sure there's yep. tons of faithful, Jews, but some of them were very willing to work with the government, willing to do these things for so long that it became too late for them to draw the line. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where like, honestly, we're just not called to be com- like people who are compromising. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Yeah. We are also a people who are tasked to take over the world. This is not this yeah. is not an optional. It's not for the job faint right. of heart. Not for exactly. the faint
1: of heart. World domination is not for the faint of heart.
0: <laughs> exactly. We are here for dominion. This is yeah, this isn't uh right. well this said. isn't a game. And so, like, I, I think of it like I, I said this to a friend who came to our church who visited from a from a different city just to support us yesterday. And I basically said, like, the thing that draw that blows the mind is that so many people aren't ready for for the battle that we're in and it's one of these ideas where well like what are we playing at then the, the yeah. bible tells us we're here to take over the world mm-hmm. so why do we expect it one to be easy but two us to just do this without anybody putting arms against us well no yeah. we we're here we're in a war the bible talks about this being a war we're here to take over the world and there are going to be people like uh, like we've said on previous podcasts when an animal gets cornered, it fights back its hardest. yeah and so let's not be shocked when the world turns on us when we're starting to take it back. so
1: amen, that's good. Know. and I think you know I, I think Toby Sumter said this when I was on uh, cross politic a little while ago when he was talking to Pastor James Coates and he said, you know that's what winning looks like. Right. The, the world looks at a, a pastor gets put in jail and thinks the church is losing. But God looks at that with different eyes. Right. Jesus said in, in John 12 that when I am lifted up, right, I will draw all men to myself. And so from the world's perspective, they saw a rebel hanging on a cross. But from God's perspective, he saw his son being lifted up that all nations might be drawn to him. And so what, what God sees and what we see is very different. So, yes, this looks like winning. You know, I was just thinking about that when you said, you know, where this is for world domination. You know, we uh, people get upset when when the world takes up arms against us. You know, we think about all those verses in, in Isaiah 2. There's the promise. And, and uh, in several of the Psalms that talk about, you know, uh, he'll turn their swords into plowshares. Right. Like that, that, there's that, there's that idea that, you know, the, the, our weapons of war become tools for, for cultivation that implies you need a weapon in your hand first right? We're not at the place yet where, where all you need is a, is farming equipment. We're still at the place where you need arms. And so let's, let's make sure we use it. I think we should just, just finish this off with the reminder. And Psalm 2 is a great Psalm. It's all about all of this stuff. Um, But uh, Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him." And so here we are, uh, and uh, churches that are open are, uh, are inviting people to take refuge in the sun. And our job, as those who are speaking the word of God into the public square, would say to all of the rulers who are trying to lock the doors of churches, imprison pastors, intimidate people, and spread fear, we would say, kiss the sun, lest his anger be kindled against you. Serve the king, pay homage to him. So, that's where we are, that's the story that we're in. Anything you wanna to say to to finish this one off, Pootie?
0: No, I think kiss the sun is the way that the way to end this episode. That is perfect. And then.
1: Kiss the sun. All right. We're out. We'll see you next time. Peace.